Well, hello and welcome to episode 201 of The Cool Room. Yes, we've clicked over that magic 200 number. Huge thank you to Burnley Brewing for having us recently. That's the most recent episode to this one. If you haven't checked it out, really fun episode, I think, uh, where we meet all of the new team from Burnley and get to talk about what it's like to inherit a brewing legacy like they did from Michael uh, and all of the fun beers that they've got coming out for Oktoberfest. Lots of them still available around Melbourne at the moment. Really great tasty things and thoroughly encourage you to track them down wherever you can and enjoy them. Um, we've got a ripper episode today, the first of two episodes, which sort of go back to back from our Thursday night Zoom room. We're kicking off tonight uh, with a discussion with Mick Hulse. Mick will be well known to people around the Melbourne brewing and culinary scene. Uh, he wears many hats, as we discuss. Uh, the most important from our perspective in this podcast is his hat from hypocrisy. Uh, so we get together and we talk with Mr Warren Wu and him about all things hypocrisy lager, but what he's doing with that brand and how it is that he got to that position in life where he can now have his own brand of beer. Uh, and then we have some old friends coming to join us as well. So Mick stays on the line uh, and we get underway with a discussion with Ryan Laracy, who many of you will know, again, from around the Melbourne beer scene. He too has worn many hats. The hat that he's wearing for us in this episode is on behalf of Wayward Brewing uh, and we're going to talk about their recession ale not just a beer for the times, but particularly a really fascinating label with a very important message on it. Uh, you may have seen that on our Facebook. Uh, just Google Wayward Recession Ale if you haven't. Uh, it's a really interesting conversation starter in the beer world, uh, and I've never seen a label quite like it before. So we discussed that. We discussed that with Mick. We discussed that with Ryan. And then Andrew from Batch joins that discussion, and that's where uh, he has his two cents worth on the Recession Ale and the labelling and the idea behind it. Uh, and that'll lead to episode 202, which will be out four or five days after this 201 episode. Uh, and in that one, we get underway with chatting to Andrew about all things Batch, rebranding, uh, how the Sydney brewing scene has changed over the last 10 years. Fascinating conversation with him as well. So look out for those ones. And look, if you want to help out the podcast and if you want to enjoy the podcast more, make sure you have the right beers in front of you. You can do that by heading over to our Shopify store. Just Google Cool Room Podcast Shopify. In there, you will find a little tasting pack of seven different cans of, uh, of beer uh, that you can enjoy while you listen. It contains the hypocrisy beers. It contains the batch beers we discuss. It contains the recession ale, and that way you can be tasting them while we talk about it. It supports the podcast. It keeps things ticking along. Look, plenty of other fun things over in the store as well. Lots of $25 specials, uh, six packs for $25 featuring some of the uh, breweries that we've had on recently. The last of our Weinstefan mixed 10-packs, just $69 for those, uh, packed full of classic German beers uh, and also still some treats from the black box that we did with Carwin. And while you're checking out our various pages, make sure you check out our Instagram. Make sure you follow us on Facebook so that you don't miss out on any of the upcoming events. Heaps of things happening. In terms of online Thursday night Zoom rooms, uh, we're going to be joined by Avenge Brewing. We've had to put that back by a week due to some happy news out at Avenge. Uh, we'll talk more about that in the Zoom room uh, on the 2nd of November. On the 9th of November, we're going to be joined by Escape Brewing, uh, and then we've got Maddox Brewing 
doing coming up as well. In fact, I may have got those dates a little bit round the wrong way. The best way to make sure that you know exactly what's going on, more than I do, is by checking out those events on the Facebook. Uh, and we have a couple of live events coming up as well. We're going to be joining Bell's Beach Brewing out at Masterson's in Mooney Ponds. Shout out to Pete and Jill for hosting us out there. Really good opportunity to come together with your fellow cool rooms uh, and just enjoy the beers that you want to enjoy. No entry price for that one. And then later in November, we're going to be heading back out to the Williamstown Beer Festival. If you listen to the recent episode that we had, that we had on, with Shane from that festival, you'll know how good a time we had last year. We're going to have a special cool room area. We're going to be doing live discussions out there with breweries that are out at the festival. Lots of fun beers, lots of fun people to talk to, lots of opportunities to mix with your fellow cool roomers. Jump on the Williamstown website and grab a ticket while you can. Okie dokie. Look, Mr. Warren Wu is waiting patiently, I'm sure, in the recorded Thursday night Zoom room so that we can start our discussions, kick them off and get things rolling along uh, with Mick uh, from Hypocrisy. Great yarn. Hope you really enjoy it. Well, hello and welcome to episode 201 of The Cool Room. Uh, part of what's going to be a big bumper night here in the Zoom Room on a Thursday night live. Uh, if you're joining us in the Zoom Room, welcome along. We've got such fun guests coming along tonight. I reckon this is going to comprise episode 201 and episode 202 by the time we get through everything we need to speak about. Some great beers to speak about, some rebranding, uh, some all sorts of things about the modern state of the Australian brewing industry and the parlous, parlous state of the Oxford Companion to Beer. We'll get onto that in a minute. Before we start to get into the controversy, a man who is never controversial, Mr Warren Wu, how are you? I'm good. I'm really good, David. Thank you very much. And yes, I don't think I'm very controversial. I think others would disagree, but you know, there we go. It's... Yeah, you're not controversial until you are. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, but I think I am quite often, so maybe, I don't know. Where well, I don't know where that was going. That's uh, that's it's good to get the rambling started early. And uh, yeah, we'll I think so. I there. think so. Um, I yeah, and I think the rambling's going on because I haven't drank this this delicious lager that's in front of me quite at the pace that I really need to digest it because it is it's um it's really good. It's really tasty. We should introduce our guest before we talk too much about the beer though. I reckon that's a bonzer idea. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's not your usual style, but that's a really good way to start. Yeah, I figured. I figured. So let's let's say hello to Mick from Hypocrisy Brewing. Hey, Mick. G'day, Warren. G'day, David. How are um, you, mate? No, hypocrisy. We're, we're, you know, we're taking the oh, hypocrisy out of beer and putting the hypocrisy into beer. I'm so glad I gave you the opportunity to ring that out. That's excellent. <laughs> Thanks, Mick. Just like it said in the notes to do. That was perfect. <laughs> yeah, no, well done. I, I got that memo, and I, I think I played it well. <laughs> it was good. Line and length ball, dealt with it appropriately. Well, uh, we're not going to talk cricket. Come on, please, no. No, no, we can't really. We we definitely can't. Um, Mick, well, let's get the let's get the ball rolling. Let's dive straight in. What was your first? Um, what was your first ever craft beer that you recall? Oh, jeez. Um, it wasn't craft, but like. A real, the real thing for me. I, I started in hospitality when I was fourteen years old. Yeah. I walked to, walked up to a fine dining restaurant. I asked, I asked mum and dad for more pocket money, and they laughed at me and said, "You'll do more chores." So I went to a fine dining restaurant and said, "Can I work here?" And they thought that was hilarious and said yes. <laughs> um, and the chefs were sitting out the back at the end of the night, you know, with a rolly cigarette, 
sitting on a milk crate and a long neck of Melbourne bitter. And I wanted to be them. Like mm. dreams of a 14 year old, I just want to be like them. And yeah, I reckon I worked there about six months and they, they rang my mum and said, can Mick have a knockoff with us? And so they poured me a little little pony of, of Melbourne bitter and that was kind of, yeah, I mean, what a, what a life-changing moment uh, <laughs> before my time. But um, craft beer, I guess, you know, I've, I've sort of got into beer. Mum used to, from probably about midway through, I don't know, year 10, she started buying me a, a different beer from the, the local supermarket. I was in a sort of semi-rural country town. Hmm. So the, the choice wasn't great, but mum, mum started really hunting around and come home with a different bottle. And I remember Simpatico from Mexico had a, a black shrink wrap label. It was just a you know, Mexican cerveza, but the, the black shrink wrap label with the gold writing on it, you know, looked a whole lot better than the Heineken bottle I'd had the week before. Mm-hmm. And then as I got closer to being legal, uh, I used to sneak into the Redback in North Melbourne. Oh, yep. And um, wear a big bag of jeans so I could steal two glasses on my way out as a 17-year-old. <laughs> um, and that, that wheat beer, Redback, was just, you know, really, it just showed that beer had flavour. I mean, I drank a lot of lagers by that point, you know, as a 17-year-old. Um, shouldn't probably admit that. But, um, you know, that, that just went, wow, there is huge flavour here. Like, how did they put bananas in here? You know, where where'd the cloves come from? You know, there's that little hit of bubble gum, like, what's going on? Yeah. And, and how does beer get that flavour? And that really set me off. Mm-hmm. Um, I trained as a chef, uh, drank a lot of crappy macro lagers. I was in the army, so depending on where you were based, you drank the, the local, you know, whether it was West End or Swan or... VB or, um, but getting out of the army, kept cooking and, and really started looking at, you know, working with waiters and, and they, you know, the beer lists were always like, we'll celebrate with crown and, uh, we'll commiserate with crown and it's a restaurant. So we better have a crown and, you know, maybe we'll have a Corona. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying, you guys, there's some better beer out there and, you know, I'm still, I think I'm, I'm number 30 on the goat army website from when cam and dave started and the internet was a new thing and and uh <laughs> you know drinking hightail at this you know sort of crappy you know like cobbled together brewery and you know no offense to cam and dave i'd still call them mates but you know that that was sort of yeah you know, wow we can now get craft beer you know from the source yeah, yeah. fresh i was going to um, say yeah, out of all the things you've mentioned there part of what it is is about Freshness of beer, isn't it? So yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, Redback and Tilda Bay, and then I guess Mountain Boat, Mountain Goat was sort of that next wake up moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, the, uh, the the HMC, which was the the company that ran uh, pubs for Lion Nathan, um, decided they were going to turn what was once a strippers into a uh, craft beer venue with a, a small brew house in it, and that was the James Squire Brew House at the Portland Hotel. Um, and they were looking for a chef that would play with beer. And, you know, I remember my interview, they were telling me, that, you know, we want, we want you to match a beer with every course. And I said, bugger that, I'm going to put beer in every course. So, yeah, it was, that was a, yeah, there was no recipes and, and we didn't have Google. You couldn't go, you know, how do I take Cockavin and take the wine out of it and put the beer into it, you know. We knew beer batter, you know, big deal. I, I, I argued with Chuck Hahn about that one. He wanted me to use Pilsner, and I said I'm using Amber Ale. Mm. Um, 
but you know, I had pills in the salad dressing, so you know, sort of gave it back to him. Um, <laughs> you know, doing doing beer sorbets and you know, a pear beignet with with a um, a porter sort of batter in the beignet. Nice. Um, it was a lot of fun, and you know, that was a, a great ride. I did a lot of dinners with Chuck Hahn and you know, sponged information from him and. Doug Donnellan and Michael Commerton, who, in my mind, are, are brewing royalty. Um, and, uh, you know, what are we talking about 15, 20 years ago now? Early, early oh, 2000s? Yeah, um, yeah, 2001, I think that was. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that was, it was, yeah, I just found it. I was losing interest in the kitchen. Um, but, yeah, it was great to walk behind the bar and say, I need four litres of Amber Ale just to. Uh, <laughs> just to, to cook tonight, and we'd just have that in a, in a bucket with a ladle and we'd drink it out of coffee cups in an open kitchen. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, that was, that, was, that was sort of exciting times and seeing, you know, and you know, forget the ownership issues and independent issues. I mean, Chuck's always made great beer, um, and Doug and Michael were really passionate. When they were coming down from Sydney to brew, it was, you know, get this phone call, like, we're down tomorrow, and they'd be brewing at 6 in the morning, and they'd be drinking at 5 past 6 in the morning. I was expected to let them into the pub and then have to do a full day in the kitchen and then go out with them that night. So I'd get, you know, crawling home at 3 o'clock in the morning after a day's work and a day's drinking. Um, but, I'm, you know, I feel privileged to call them mates and, and to, to have learned so much from them. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, I ended up, I gave up cooking and went front of house because obviously I could talk. Uh, kitchens are... A, a small space where the conversations can get a bit stilted when you have some noisy bugger like me. Um, and I ended up front of house, um, ran some pubs, some bars, and then ended up as uh, the first general manager when they opened Beer Deluxe at Fed Square, which really was beer average because we had uh, uh, James Squire, Goldnail, Pugarten, and Stellar on tap. And we had three taps, um, and they were mirrored. So the first thing I did was split those into six taps. Um, and I mean, it, it went from strength to strength after I left. Um, I left because one of the taps I put on was a what is still one of my favourite beers, Trimmer Pills. Mm-hmm. Um, and they offered me the job to be Trimmer Pills Victoria. Um, so for the next six years, I sold Trimmer in Victoria. And if you had a Trimmer in Victoria, that's quite possibly because of me. Uh, I'm, I'm responsible. I apologise. Um, but, you know, I still think it's the benchmark of Pilsners mm. for a German-style Pilsner. Um, it's it's one of my favourite beers. Um, and, yeah, and that started me repping and then, yeah, stayed in the industry for a bit and done a bit. I'll, I'll say, it's, it's more a I've question been, of been, what haven't you done. I've been, I've been talking a lot there, sorry. Um, yeah, I went from Truma, um, got, got uh, headhunted by this... Uh, Mad Lebo called Mazin, who um, got me in his, his, his uh, sales manager at Hawkers. Uh, I'd been friends with Joe Bird for a few years, and Joe was, was Mazin's uh, early business partner in the business. Um, did five and a half years, watched that brewery grow, and we took it, you know, not just through Victoria, but nationally and then internationally. Um, really amazing ride. Um, and then ended up with a small distribution company, and uh, and now, most recently, I've given up the beer trade as such, apart from what you've all got in your hands at the moment, which is my hobby job. Um, but my day job is uh, is now with um, a company called Barware. Um, you can find us at barware.com.au. Uh, and yeah, Bar- that's Geek- W-A-R-E as well, isn't it? I'm not being smart. Yeah. Just- 
Um, we talk t-shirts a lot here, but this yeah. is wear, not wear. Yeah, no, we uh, we we sort of we've got bar geek, and we yeah, it's the premium sort of uh, place for for bartenders to get the stuff they need to make you know really tasty drinks. Um, uh, you know, glassware, cocktail shakers, bar spoons, mixing glasses. Yeah, you know, we've got it. Um, so, and you know, it's it's a different challenge. You know, it's still selling, um, and it's still selling to people. Sorry, the dog's just jumping all over me. Um, it, it's you know. Selling to to people in the booze industry, which I've been doing for a long time, so I get to run in and see mates. You know. um, I get to meet a whole new people, and yeah, you know, working with distilleries, you know, it's a lot of fun, and and just you know, learning information from them. You know, it, it's drinks. You know, it's um, distilling and distillers and brewers are, are very similar creatures. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, it's broadening my horizons. Just the the people I'm coming across now, day to day. But uh, I still I still get to go home and have a cold beer. Yeah, with with your dog as we're clearly yeah. seeing tonight. I mean, you for people who aren't in the Zoom room who are listening on the podcast, this looks like like the perfect spring evening in Melbourne from what we can see of your environment. You're in the backyard, the plants are green behind you, the dog's happy, and you've got a cold beer in your hand. I mean, it sounds like um, the dream. It's funny. It's a, it's actually I'm in the exact same spot where I spent a lot of COVID. I um. I started a Zoom chat on a Friday afternoon and we, and we called it the beer garden. And the deal was that it had to be an independent beer. Um, and it was a bunch of bunch of beer reps, predominantly Melbourne-based. Mm-hmm. And I was just, you know, touching base and making sure everyone was okay. And that's why I had to reload Zoom because I was quite happy to delete it all because I was like, COVID's gone. Um, but, yeah, it, it feels – I feel like a, I've gone back a couple of years. So I'm, I'm a bit of, bit of uh, flashbacks, which aren't, aren't that pleasant. But I did spend a big chunk of time with a – a cold beer during COVID, talking beer with, you know, beer reps in Melbourne. Mick, if you were going to spend time it would, sitting in a garden, sitting in your lovely green garden drinking beer, it doesn't sound like the worst. I know COVID was pretty hard on everyone, but, you know, it sounds I, look, like I, I feel really lucky. I'm in Williamstown and we've got <laughs> beaches down the road, mm. uh, some beautiful parks. Um, so, you know, the excuse to walk a dog and take my kid for a walk, um, there's a, a lot of worse places to be um, during a lockdown. I don't, I don't want to revisit it, but yeah. we, yeah. we survived. But I am just getting a bit of a flat. I spent a lot of time in this garden. I've got my rotisserie, my pizza oven, my smoker, awesome. um, and it's a really short walk to my little garden shed that's got a beer fridge in it. That sounds like paradise. That's great. We want to we want to talk hypocrisy properly, and we want to talk yeah. about the beer that's in our cans properly. But uh, before we do, you've just given us. Talk about a, a CV that's super extensive and touches on so many things. Is, is moving on and doing th- new things important to you? Because obviously there's a lot of transition in there over, mm. you know, 20 or more years in the industry, and probably more, 25, 30 years yeah, in the look, industry. I mean, yeah, it was a big jump from, from cooking to, to front of house. Mm. Um, front of house to repping, you know, people think reps have this great, great, beer reps have this great life where they walk in, they're always pissed and happy and, Everyone wants to be their friend and, you know, but there is, there is actually some hard work involved in it. Not a lot, but there's a bit. Um, and, you know, this is, this is, for me, I guess it's growing because I, I learn another part of the industry, part of that, that supply chain to an industry I love. Uh, I get to, you know, I'm still hanging out with the same sort of people. I'm still seeing beer reps in pubs when I walk in there and say, hey, you know, your stuff's really beat up. I've got better stuff. Let's, let's, get, some, let's get some new gear in your bar. But 
yeah, I'm, I'm working. I'm still working with passionate people. I'm still selling as such. So yeah, that part of my job is no different. It's a, a product. One of the things I've always thought was, I can't sell something I'm not proud of. So yeah, I went from Trimmer. I went to Hawkers. I was really proud. I, I love Trimmer. I still do. I was really proud of what we achieved with Hawkers. Um, Hawkers. I went to Bandwagon. You know, Joel's a mate. Um, we had some really beautiful products and I was lucky enough to bring in, you know, a great gin from a distillery that I'm really good friends with and their gin is just delicious and wins lots of awards. Um, you know, things like learning about mezcal from really passionate Mexican bloke and we were distributing his mezcal. So, you know, whilst I know where I'm on a beer podcast and beer is my passion, uh, I don't, I think I'd be doing myself a disservice if I didn't pay attention to the other parts of the industry, which is, you know, food, wine, spirits, uh, and then, now, now I've am got a job where I get to enhance that experience because I can give you a better glass to drink out of. I can give you a, a better shaker to make that cocktail. Um, and I think, you know, we forget, you know, I mean, I, I could just get this can and, and drink out of the can and, and you know, bogan myself up. But, you know, when, when you can get yourself a nice glass and make an occasion out of a knockoff beer, that knockoff beer just means that much more, you know. A cold can when you finish mowing the lawns, I, I, all right, I'll, I'll let you have that one. But I think, you know, when you get home from work, take that extra minute or two, get a nice clean glass, pour yourself a cold beer, smell it, look at it, drink it, then, you know, hurry up and have another one. Now, it's been a while since we've nerded out Mr. Uh, Warren Wu on, on glassware. It genuinely is. So, mm-hmm. again, for people who aren't able to see the glass in your hand in the Zoom room, what do you choose oh. to drink out of at home? Um... Well, because we we're on a lager, I, I went my my, um, my my crafty pint cartel glass that um, James Smith gave me. Um, but look, I, I've got I've got some Spiegelaus. Um, quite often, you know, I, I mean, I do drink a, a, a various array of things, and and my wife laughs at me because I I drink a, a, a lot of um a, a lot of uh, Grand Cru out of wine glasses, listening to opera. And people who look know me and look at me look at this, you know, six foot ball bloke who weighs a hundred kilos, and they're like, he listens to opera, drinking, you know, Grand Cru out of a wine glass in a darkened room listening to opera. But yeah, that's me. I I, I think it's yeah, a sense of occasion, and I think mm. things taste better. You know, if you, you know, eating a, eating a hamburger out of a paper wrapper or or you know, cardboard box, it's just crap. Like, yeah, but have a hamburger on a nice plate and you, know, you make your own, you do it yourself, it tastes that much better, present it nicely, take that time. You know, you make a nice meal, put it on a, on a nice plate. You have a nice drink, put it in a nice glass. Yeah. And, and Marla's fourth symphony adds a sense of occasion to any hamburger I've found <laughs> over the years. Uh, yeah, I probably, I'm probably going Rage Against the Machine with a burger, but that's just me. Rage Against the <laughs> Machine and a dirty IPA. You're not going to go too far wrong there. Uh, Mr. Wu, let's talk about the beer in the glass. Have you still got the beer in your glass? This is oh, my little, God, this was my challenge. I was... Yeah, it's, <coughs> it's disappeared. Like, yeah. <coughs> oh, and I just inhaled it. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's a delicious, it's a delicious, <laughs> despite the fact, yeah, you've got a relatively <laughs> small range at hypocrisy. <coughs> Um, what made you decide that this one would be the, the thing that we should, we should discuss? Sorry, the um, dog was barking my ear. Um, look, for the, for the simp- really simple reason is that I've sold out of IPA. Um, <laughs> so I, I, make, awesome. 
I only make two beers, and I, I kind of laugh that I, I make I make beer that um, middle aged white men uh, like to drink. And you know, guess what? I'm 49 years old, and I'm white. Um, I'm loving it, Warren. Warren, how do you feel about the beer? Um, middle aged Asian guy also yeah. loves <laughs> lager and IPAs. Um, yeah, and I'll and I'll just drink anything. But this is. They're delicious. There's there's a sense of quality with this lager. It's not it's not like a big old macro style. Uh, uh, look, I, I don't know. Well, not, I don't know if you got a chance to read the can, but I kind of took the piss with it a little bit. And it says this lager need pilsner. Um, now I know I know you've got you've got a really educated uh, following with this podcast, so I, I don't need to. Much more educated than the actual presenters, yeah. I don't need to explain <laughs> to them, but yeah, the amount of people that you know, if you if you market a beer as a pilsner, and I had it with Truma, I had it with Hawkers, people go, oh, I don't really like pilsners, mate. I just drink lager. Mm. Yeah, you, sort of, you nod quietly and smile and say, yeah, have a crack, and you're like, oh, it's a bit fancy, mate. So this is a lager for marketing reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a pilsner. Mm. Um, it says lager on the tin. It does what it says it does. Yep. But it, it is also a nod to the German-style beers that I really love. Mm. Uh, I contract brew. I contract brew out at Deeds. I've been mates with Pat and Dave for, for many years. Um, Justin Corbett, who was their first head brewer, I'm really pleased to say is one of my best mates. Um, Curtis, who's brewing there now, is, is a fantastic young brewer and he's a brewer to watch. Uh, he's really knocking it out of the park with his beers at the moment. Um and this, this beer sort of develops with, with Justin. Um, and, you know, we sat down and I said, you know, we, we sat down with a bunch of beers because isn't recipe development great when you go, real, I like the colour, I like the smell of this one, I like the taste of this, I like the carbonation on this one, I like the head retention on this one. Yeah. And you try and pick, it, pick them all apart, you pick the faults out of them. Um, and... I'm really happy with the way the recipe came up. Um, there's a big, big hit of SARS, which is that classic, mm. classic sort of Pilsner hop. Um, and using Warrior, and Warrior is a sort of underdone, cheaper hop that people don't think of, but you, you put it in the boil for your, uh, for your early bittering. Uh, and, you, and, yeah, it, it just gives that, that sort of bit of bite at the front and then you get the beautiful SARS spiciness towards the back. Um mm. So I was I was super pleased. You know, I mean, brewers will say, uh, try a tank sample. And you get excited because you're drinking a beer that no one's ever seen before. Beer out of a tank sample tastes like shit. It hasn't been carbonated. It's not finished product. Um, but you feel really special when you get that tank sample. Mm-hmm. Um, but this beer, like, I, I, I did have a little tear when I, I tried it off the line. And even that's got a bit of carb shock. It's usually better, you know, four or five days later. But I did have a little tear when I tasted it and went, you know what, it's not Truma, but it's, a, it's an Aussie nod to Truma. Mm. And yeah. is that the plan, like to sort of get close, oh, very... but, not, but not obviously a clone? Oh, mate, I'm not, I'm not doing open decoction, decoction mash brewing that they're doing. They have dehusked malt that I can't afford. Um, they've got a brewery that's, you know, 800 years old. They've been making Pilsner there for 200 years. Open ferment, it's incredible. Like the brewery is just stunning. Um, I can't do that. I'm contract brewing at Deeds, and I was lucky enough to get get a, a six week lager time on this. Uh, as a contract brewer, that is rare. You usually, get about 14, 15 days, and then knocking you out because they want to get the next person in. 
So that's part of my my great relationship with with the guys is they give me a bit of lagering time, which you know, helps the beer age. Mm-hmm. Um, so the longer you, longer you get in that lagering tank to start with, the, the longer you'll get in a can or a bottle, depending on how you package your beer on shelf life is is my understanding and it's sort of been my experience. Um, I can't I can't do a Rattenhund, which I think is a fantastic beer. I can't do the the 10, 12 weeks that Sam and Duncan allow that beer to have. Um, you know, I think you know White Bay, uh, uh, whatever that uh, Gantry Crane, between that and Rathunds, um and I'll put epoxy lager there. My three favourite uh, lager pilsners in Australia. Um, uh, and yeah, it's it's an exciting time because we didn't see craft breweries playing with lagers like we do now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it used to be the joke, you know, there's nowhere to hide with a lager, but you, you can hide everything in an ale. Mm. And, and you know, I, I've got nowhere to hide with this beer, and I, I, I don't think I've got anything to hide, but I have had some some crappy, you know, craft lagers. Um, you know, if we, I mean, you've had Mazin on, and Mazin's favourite saying was, you know, the best beer in the world is Budweiser, because it, it's perfectly shit every time, but it is exactly <laughs> the same every time. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, and that's that's one thing I think the industry has just you know really really pushed the consistency of product, and we're seeing you know with training, education, better equipment, and and we're now seeing you know some really really class beers coming out of Australia. That you know we I remember everyone said you know we're ten years behind the states and five years behind New Zealand, and and now I think we're we're sort of right up there. In terms of getting that, in terms of getting that consistency that you mentioned there, when you're doing the contract brewing, and again, you know, you've already sort of said yourself, you know, you don't have any IPA at the moment, so obviously it's a thing that you can't get in and do all the time. How much oversight of the process do you have to ensure the consistency is right? You know, how involved are you actively each time there's a brew? I tell you, I tell you, the the one thing breweries who do contract beer hate is when. The contract bre- contract brewery company comes to oversee everything. Mm. Um, I'm not a brewer. Uh, I'm a qualified chef. Um, I'm a guaranteed pisshead, but I'm not. I'm not a brewer. Um, so there's a lot of trust. I like to be there on a brew day. Um, social media likes those photos, and you know, apparently, social media sells beer, which I still don't understand. Um, <laughs> but. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of trust and a lot of faith, um, and and so far I haven't been let down. And I've had had Justin and Ned, who are now at Fox Friday, uh, brew this beer, and I've had had Curtis and M at, at Deeds now brew this beer, and they've they've all done a they've done a great job. Um, so I think solid recipe, solid ingredients, a brewery that that looks after their kit, and you know they're they're clean, um, they take care, they treat it. They really do. They, they treat it like it's theirs, if not better, mm. um, which which I think is really important. I mean, I I still love it at Hawkers when um, Ash Hazel used to come in when he was with um, uh, Barrow Boys, and Ash was the most precise brewer I've ever seen, and he was all over everything. Um, and I sort of I always wanted to have his knowledge because I think he's probably one of the most consistent brewers in Australia and, and knocking stuff out from two sites on the other side of it, of the country from each other and managing to make the beer taste the same out of both breweries. That's, that's an entirely new skill. Uh, Ash is a, is, you know, 
the, the science of it, I learned heaps off someone like him and, and John Selton. I mean, they're just, like, yeah, I, I'm not a brewer, but I feel like one day I could be, but I'm not going to be. It's much more fun. It's much more fun on the bar side of things than it is. Brewers, <laughs> you know, it's, it's 10% cooking and 90% cleaning. There's not as much fun as, uh, as being on the other side of the bar. So at this stage, you know, I, I don't plan to be a brewer. I would, I'd rather, you know, knock off work, go to a pub and, uh, and, and have a beer with my mates. And, you know, if it's my beer, even better. You've you've got a lot in there that I think we're going to agree with. The uh, the ten percent ninety percent equation is I think part of what uh, Warren Wu's experience and my experience has been in a whole lot of hospo jobs. Um, oh, look, if you ever work with John Selton, it's ninety five percent cleaning because he's a messy bastard, but he's hilarious. <laughs> but we, we always joke that you know whenever anyone gets asked, oh, you know, would you like to do a collaboration brew? Particularly if you're not actually a brewer, like if you're a podcast or you're a venue or whatever else. Really, what it's about is the social media and then shoveling stuff out of a fermenter later on. Like that's oh, the, see, I, 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 I would never do that. Like, I don't want to shovel, so I, I just go to bigger breweries where it's all automated. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I ran a bunch of, of collab brew days for Hawkers as events, and we had you know some some really great breweries, Liberty from New Zealand, Against the Grain from the US, um, you know, amongst others. I'm not not trying to offend anyone, that I, but yeah, they were just it was. Like, they go in there, they tip some hops in, you know, they, they stand there, get a group photo, and then you just get on it. And really, there's one poor brewer who's missing out on the barbecue and missing out on the drinks, who's doing all the work. But the, the brewery owners and the, and the head brewers are getting the, the social media shot and looking gold. Um, I guess the, the question that sort of follows on from that earlier one about, you know, how do you make sure the process works? I mean, you joked earlier that this is your hobby, but... Where do you want to see hypocrisy going? Is it something that you do just sort of want to dabble with over time or with a beer of this kind of quality, do you sort of hope that it leads to something bigger? Because, you know, as I say, a beer like this could go all sorts of places. Um, yeah, I think, I think one of the, the hard things is, is uh, when you've got a mortgage in Williamstown, you've got to have a, a, a really good day job that, that pays. Um, and to take this out on my own, yeah, you know, it would be a gamble that I'm with a with a kid in school and and a, and a mortgage in Williamstown. I'm not prepared to do right now. Um, so and that's that's completely honest. Yeah, no, uh, I appreciate the honesty. And um, yes, I think we all have, or many of us in the room have mortgages. We get it. If it uh, if it, uh, if, it, if it means I can I can make enough beer that there's you know there's always some in my fridge um, and that I can share it. Yeah, you know, I, I don't have global ambitions or national ambitions. I'd rather it just be, you know, available in the local area. I've had really good support from the bottle shops in Williamstown. Um, we got really good support with, you know, the dads at the school, probably because they all, all hit me up for a free one when they come around. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, look, it, it's I, – I think um, um, Professor Pilsner, Pete Mitchum, summed it up best when he's like, oh, yeah, so you're just making another ego brand. Um I've sold a lot of beer for a bunch of people. Uh, it's it's kind of nice when it's yours, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I don't want that to be arrogant. It's just you know I I have sold a lot of beer. Um, I, I've met a lot of people along the ride, and it's been great. Um, and now yeah, my my wife yelled at me the other week. We were walking the dog, and and there was a an empty can in the gutter of, of hypocrisy, and she's like, "Are you littering?" And I went, 
no, obviously not me. But I was kind of proud that, like, someone had my beer. I wasn't proud that they dropped it. I wish I wish hypocrisy drinkers used bins, but <laughs> it out there and, and knowing someone else bought it, you know, obviously hated it and threw it in the gutter. Um, but, you know, it's... it's a, so, yeah, I mean, Pete Mitchum's right. It's a little bit of an ego trip. Uh, it's nice to know it's yours. But then, you know, when you've had some really good beer and you've had some crap beer, to, to make a beer and, and have your peers tell you that it's good... <clears throat> Uh, have have a couple of brewers, you know, send you selfies and say, you know, really proud of you. Um, that's yes, it strokes the ego, but it, it is a, it's a real nice vindication of like, you know, I know what is a good beer, uh, I know how to sell beer, um, and you know, I, I want people to drink good beer. And, you know, my next door neighbour's a retired seven year old who used to drink Bogues and you know keeps hitting me up for free beer. Um, so. Yeah. <laughs> Can, um, can he hear you in the backyard? Does he, no, no, he's on the other side of the house. We're all clear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's look, it's 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 been it's fun. It's not something that I, I don't I don't think I'll ever do it full time. Um, it's never been something that I, I've sort of wanted to guarantee supply. I'm, I'm happy to fight for a bit of shelf space. The local local bottle shops are great. I'm never going to make huge batches of it. Uh, I can't afford it. I don't. Yeah, you know, problem with problem with the gamble of a huge batch is, um, you know, you've got to store it, you've got to pay for the storage. It's expensive. Yeah, you know, I, I look at the costs of how they've gone up, particularly over the last sort of twelve months. Um, you know, freight is massive, warehouse space is massive, mm. um, and yeah, you know, I'd rather make small batches, try and keep them as fresh as I can. Uh, you know, keep them clean and uh, treat them in and keep them clean or whatever they say. Um, but you know, I mean, look. Once my fridge runs out of beer, I guess there'll be another another batch getting booked in real quick. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think now would probably be a good time to ask our traditional cool room question. I reckon, Mick. Um, and I, I don't know if there's anyone more qualified in Melbourne to answer this question. A matter of fact, so. Um, tell us what is the craziest, most explosive. Uh, most naked thing you've ever seen in a cool room, <laughs> and that that when we say cool room, it doesn't necessarily need to be a cool room. It could be any hospo or uh, I, venue. But, I'm not, yeah. I'm not quite sure what you're saying. Like, I one of my one of my sales pitches for Truma was like, if you put Truma on, I'll come and clean your beer lines. And my <laughs> my god, there were some shit sellers out there with just terrible care. Oh yeah. Um, as an ex chef, you know, I've walked in and out of many many cool rooms and. I've I've seen some debauched behaviour in cool rooms, um, and really, yeah, I don't know what how ratings work, how rating systems work on uh, on podcasts, but you get an X rating if I start talking about what I saw in kitchens. And we certainly don't want you to identify our favourite venues here in Melbourne, either, um, even though we all know that at various look, stages. One of the, one of the great things for me, like, is when you see really well run and really clean cool rooms, and you go, someone cares about beer. Mm. Uh, and that's I've, I've always been really stoked when people they're almost proud to show you yeah um so I, I don't know if i've really answered how the question how you wanted it i mean look there's there's some phenomenal stuff i, I feel sorry for those people with the massively long lines and they'll have a pristine cool room and then i'll have like you know, 100 meters of beer line and i'm like bloody hell mm. um what have i seen in cool rooms I, i've seen a lot of theft mm. uh, don't don't store packaged beer in a cool room that a chef has access to, <laughs> um, because I, I can tell you I can tell you for sure I've probably stolen more beer than I bought. Um, 
if you see a chef wandering out in big decks that look like they could fit a keg in each leg, it might be because well, he can fit it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I guess one of my favourites, I worked up at Mount Hotham for, for a couple of seasons because I'm a, a pretty keen snowboarder. And um, we used to get tasked to help unload the, the trucks. Um, they, want, they want to get the trucks off the mountain as quickly as possible. Um, so, you know, the beer truck comes in and the chefs get dragged out of the kitchen and we've got to unload beer. So I, I put a tax on that and I'm like, well, I'll take a slab. And, uh, you know, I'd be doing Saturday night service and the head chef would be like, you know, does anyone want a, want a quick shot of schnapps? The Austrian chef. And I'm like, no, nah, mate, I've got a beer going. He's like, what do you mean you've got a beer going? And I'm like, if you can find it, you can keep it. And it was great. I had it. There was an old, um, there was an older kitchen that they'd, they'd turned into a storeroom, but they had left a canopy there and the canopy backed onto an exterior wall, which was packed with snow. So I just climbed up on the bench and put my slab up inside the, the canopy. <laughs> and uh, I had super cold beer and I just go and put a, you know, three or four in my service fridge for a Saturday night service. Just quietly have a beer while I was cooking and um, and well was a good place. So not really a cool room, but it's a great way to keep your beer. Oh, cold. I reckon that's a, that's that's better than a cool room. And it feels like a bit of that army ingenuity might be coming in, you know, coming oh, in there. Um, yeah, I went... It's a cool room, but it's and it's got beer. I guess when I was in the army, I, I did K ninety three, Tyndall Air Force Base, and it was like forty something degrees, and we were there forty days straight, and we didn't have a day off. And the kitchen was, you know, in the seventies. It was like ridiculous. Um, the the soldiers are saying, you know, what are you complaining about? You know, we're just having cold meat and salads. I'm like, dude, we had to cook the meat for it to be cold meat. <laughs> so we had, we had a we had an old butchery cool room that wasn't being used, and it had an exhaust fan in it. And I thought, what a fantastic thing! You know, we've got this cold room with a great exhaust fan. So I put an ashtray and a milk crate in there and a slab. Um, <laughs> and I used to tell my warrant officer, who's like your head chef, I'd go, "Sir, just go into the meat fridge," and he'd go, "Open me one private." <laughs> and uh, so we that was that's probably my greatest time in a cool room was just having a smoke and a. And a it was really shit beer. I think we were on Swan or something. Um, but it was cold and, like, we were so hot. Cold beer, Any cold beer in a storm would have worked then. That's a, that's a ripper of a story. I think that one is a keeper. That's a, that's a, that's a top ten cool room type story. I'm not, I'm not advocating anyone go and smoke in a cool room or drink Swan draft. But, um, <laughs> yeah, or, uh, or work at Tyndall Air Force Base, I suspect. Yeah, no, it's not something you'd advocate. <laughs> it's a pretty hot, nasty place. Um, but, yeah, I mean... It, it was it was a great experience and, and great learning. Um, all, all my bosses, and I think my boss is still actually online at the moment listening to this, um, all my bosses have thought, you know, ex-Army, oh, he'll be really disciplined and, and well-behaved and nothing can be further from the truth. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, we've probably got time really only for one audience question because... In the Zoom room, we're going to be sort of bookending bits of this of episode 201. Uh, we're soon going to have our mate Ryan from Wayward on. Then we're going to get into a bit of a yarn uh, with Andrew from Batch. But we do have Shana with an audience question. So, Shana, do you want to unmute and fire away with your audience question? Sure. Uh, we, You've spoken a lot about sort of the middle of the journey and, and, and what's been happening and obviously about things that happened prior to that. But how hard was it to sort of break in and make that decision to contract brew uh, and who you approached and sort of how you how did you work through those steps to get to where you are now? Um you've got the best fiddle leaf palm a uh, fiddle leaf thing. Oh. <laughs> and that's awesome. 
Um, mine's nowhere near as good. Um, look, I was I've got I, the gardening talk here with Nick tonight. Um, yeah. Uh, look, it, it's only been recent, that, so hypocrisies will be a year old in November. Um, I was really lucky, so I was working with Joel Drysdale from Venom Brewing uh, Bandwagon um, Beverages Distribution. Um, so he he's been really helpful. Like I, I got to put out some batches on under his liquor license and using his uh, his excise license. Um, so you know that having having friends in the industry who want to see you succeed, uh, and I think that you know bounces back from your own personality. Like when you uh, exuberant and you want other people to exceed, you know they want to bring you along on their journey and you want to bring them along on yours. Um, choosing deets, uh, there are cheaper breweries out there to do it at. Um, uh, Justin Corbett was a huge call. He's one of my best mates. Um, we travelled America together, and I had a broken hip, and he used to put my shoes on for me. Um, yeah, it's he's Justin seen me when I was the most broken down, beaten down, full of dozepan and oxy um, and beer. Um, so he's he's a superb mate, um, and he was at Deets. Um, but I've, you know, as I said earlier, I've, I've known Pat and Dave for a long time, and and the care that that brewery take with my beer, I'm I'm so happy with. Um, that you know, it, it's really special for me. How does someone else go and do it? I don't know if that's part of your question. I, I think, you know, back yourself. Um, if you're not a brewer, sit down with a with a good brewer that you respect, like you know, some someone who's knocking out consistent beer that you like, like, and look at different ranges of beers, like Justin. Justin can smash it out of the park with a lager, but then he goes and makes a triple hazy, um, which you'll never get me drinking because I hate them. Um, but, you know, if you wanted to do it yourself, I'd say find a, find a brewer that you respect and you respect their range. Recipe develop with them. If, you know, I've, I've homebrewed. My homebrew is awful. I'm the worst homebrewer in Australia. Um, I write nothing down. I'm terrible at keeping notes. Um, but, you know, workshop... Workshop your recipe. Talk about what you like. You know, have a clear idea of your, the flavors you like, the styles you like. Have your benchmark. There's no, you know, fl- flatter that benchmark. I, I hope I've, I hope I haven't offended Truma by saying, you know, I wanted to make an Aussie Truma. Um, you know, it's finding someone who who cares about what they're doing is the the best person to to buddy up with. Um, and I, I feel I've been really lucky that, you know, right through my career since I was 14 years old, I've had some really amazing mentors and bosses and colleagues that want me to succeed. They know, um, you know, I want them to succeed. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a great journey to be on together. Um, and, yeah, the world's a good place and, and beer makes it better. Mick, it's even the quick time that we've spent together tonight, your energy and positivity for the industry that we're all involved in just comes through so strongly. You've produced a brilliant beer here, mate. Uh, it's a short time together tonight. Hopefully you might be able to stick around and, and be part of our next conversations. But um, congratulations on producing some great beers, and I have no doubt that you'll be coming back and visiting us in the cool room again in the future. Oh, when I've got some fresh IPR, I'll give you a shout. Beautiful. All right, I'll catch you in a bit. Thanks, Mick.
Well, here we are. We're here with our second part of the episode 201. The Zoom room just keeps on growing in terms of the stellar lineup that we have in here. Mick is still here with us. We love that part of the conversation we were having about hypocrisy there. He's got a, a few more things to share with us along the way. Uh, Andrew from, from uh, Batch is here. He's going to be on soon. But in the meantime, our old mate Ryan is on the show. And we've got a really special beer to talk about, special particularly because of the packaging and the message behind it. But um, Ryan, how are you? It's been a little while. It's been, it's been a little while. It's, uh, I'm, I'm good, though. I'm good. I'm glad you did. I think last time we caught up was when we were out at the Williamstown Beer Festival. We're heading out there again for a live record this year. Um, but we had a fun afternoon out there roughly this time last year. It was fantastic. The uh, just working around, getting the audio cranking at the start. It was fantastic, but uh, no, it was great. I actually really like the Williamstown Beer Fest, and uh, yeah, we're we're booked on again as well. And I'll have two staff this time, so I can I can chat twice as long. You can chat twice as long as, and that means you can fix my audio for twice as long as well. Because talk about relying on the kindness of strangers. I certainly relied on your kindness that day, brother. <laughs> I, I do what I can. Now, Mr. Warren Wu is in the room with us as well. We've, we've, uh, we've got, I can't tell you how many controversial topics with Mick we've been discussing in the, uh, in the break between the shows, but, um, we've, we've moved past vet bills. We've moved past, uh, styles that shouldn't be mentioned. We've moved past the Oxford Brewing Dictionary, the, uh, and so forth. Mr. Wu, let's get onto the beer that's in front of us now. Yeah. Cheeky little, what, recession ale? Recession ale. Who'd ever guess? Ryan, tell us about the recession ale. Um, let's well, start with the canner because I think it says a lot about this beer, I suppose. Excellent work, Mr. Yeah. Warramu. You've dodged the first three or four questions I sent through. I, you just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I went straight for the guts. You did. I Good wrote. man. Let's do that. <laughs> well, I guess the best way to look at it is probably um, it's a satirical newspaper cartoon that you can drink. Um, <laughs> and But, yeah, it's... I guess everyone's feeling the pinch at the moment and, you know, costs are increasing right across the board. It's making things really, really hard for a lot of people. So um, on the on the back of the beer, um, breaking down the costs is a, uh, I guess it's, uh, you know, the costs associated with getting it into the hands of the, of the consumer hopefully shows that no one's making white tiger money. Um, well, not on the independent, you know, brewers scene anyway. Um, but yeah, just just to sort of show where where the uh, the dollars and cents go from your from your beer um, from your beer money. Yeah. Um, so this is a Wayward Brewing uh, product. Give us a little rundown on on Wayward Brewing. Oh, now we're back to question one. Good work. <laughs> um, okay. Well, look, Wayward was uh, founded um, back in two thousand and twelve um, by Peter Phillip and. Um, Back then, Pete was gypsy brewing out of uh, Illawarra Brewing Company. That's where he met um, our head brewer, Sean Blissett. Um, I guess after a beef, brief little uh, bromance, they opened up the uh, the Wayward uh, Brewing Tap Room in Camperdown in 2015. Um, and the Wayward ethos is all about um, adventure. Um, and, you know, it's, in fact, our motto is brewed, brewed for adventure. It's at the, uh, at the top of every can. Um, beer that's great to, to travel with and to travel for. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Um, 
so uh, let's go. Let's. Uh, uh, it's a really fascinating story presents all the game, and breaking down all those costs is really yeah, it is quite interesting and, and a little eye opening if you weren't aware of all those costs. Um, should we talk about the inside of the can itself? What's the what's the story with the beer? Give us a okay. Well, um, so the brief was to uh, to brew a, a tasty beer, but make it as as low cost as possible. Obviously, everyone's feeling the pinch. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially, it's just a clean, simple, and honest Aussie pale ale. Um, yep. It's uh, it's got a, a subtle sort of fruity. Um, hop character, but it's, uh, it's just super smashable. I mean, keeping in mind, um, most limited releases uh, are beers where the brewers get to play around with your your fancier slash pricier ingredients and in greater quantities um, because, uh, I guess, the fine beer drinking, craft beer drinking public have uh, previously been prepared to pay a bit more for limited releases. So this one's... Um, Keeping it a bit more simple um, to also shed light on on uh, on where the money goes, but yeah, I actually called Sean um, this morning um, to get some insight onto the into the alchemy involved with brewing it, and um, mm. I wrote it down so that I'd uh, not. And I hope it was on the canning line, so I, I may have got some of the words wrong. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. You won't listen in, Willie. Cut out a whole bunch of choice words that might have been floating away, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, Brian, uh, why so, are you ringing me and asking me this stupid question? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, Sean's always good for a call. Um, but yeah, so he goes, uh, he said, a small amount of Galaxy was used in the Whirlpool. Um, um, but at the dry hopping stage, um, he used Citra Top Notes. Um, I had to get him to spell this out because I was like, Hop, Hop Notes, Top Notes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, this is uh, the, it's a liquid. Um, and the cool thing about it is that it has a, a 100% utilisation rate. So there's no wastage, there's no leftover hot matter. matter. Um, we used this for our um, Gabs beer uh, last year um, oh. when we did the Invisible IPA. Um, but, yeah, so I guess one of the – if there's you know, more yield equals less wastage equals less cost equals win-win. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But, yeah, it's it's a – it's meant to be just a, a, a classic yeah. Aussie pale that you'd find on tap at any pub type thing. Awesome. Um, and, and for people who don't have the can in front of them, sorry, Warren, for people who don't yeah, have the can in front of them, I mean, what makes this cheaper to, to sort of produce? Is it the ingredients? Is it the fact that you're aiming for a different alcohol percentage? Is it because you're doing a bigger batch and it's cheaper in that way? I mean, again, not everyone who's listening to the podcast may have the can in front of them, so... Run us through a bit well, of that kind of stuff. I, I can also yeah. answer some of those if you want me to, Ryan. Is it... Yeah, jump in, jump in. I was going to say yeah. that you didn't pay, you didn't pay us for the last two weeks um, <laughs> to offset the costs. Yeah, so Ryan hasn't been paid um, in order good, good. to give you guys a cheaper beer. Uh, <laughs> no, so I don't. I don't want to steer it. Basically, this the the, the re- we created this to prove a point that um, there is rising costs uh in the brewing industry um we've got huge amounts of inflation um and then obviously the ato is still taking a decent amount so it was it was basically like the brief was um can we create and and then we're we've cut out our a a huge amount of our margin um out of the sales of this product as well 
Um, uh, we're basically not making any money on it, but the, that's the point is just to try and give people the opportunity to, to have a really tasty beer at a, at a cheaper price, but also highlighting the issues that the entire brewing industry is facing right now. Um, and, um, and, and, and what consumers are facing, like everything's going up for them. So it's kind of just, Hey, here's, we're trying to do our best just to highlight the economic conditions and give some people and, and, and a bit of satire and something that people can enjoy. Mm. Um, we should actually introduce uh, Andrew Finneran. The have I just that up? Yes, I have. Um, <laughs> from Batch Brewing, well, Batch and the co-founder, but much, much more as all of our co-founders generally are, um, and cricket and cricket coach, which is yeah. incredible. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm the Ted Lasso of cricket. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's, what, that's what everybody calls me. Who wouldn't want? Who wouldn't want a Ted Lasso coaching <laughs> the, yeah. your cricket team? I love it. Please, um, please. That you made some really nice points about the recession hour and the ideas behind it. How much? How much do you think people actually think about um, the information on the can? How much awareness do you do you think the the general punter has of of the costs of um, that go into making a beer? Oh, look. I... Who knows? I don't think, I think most people wouldn't even think about it. Um, mm. uh, and that's no, that's not, no fault of anyone's, um, you know, but I think, I, I think that, and that's the point, like we want to try and highlight the, it's, it's a, the, the brewing industry is a capital intensive business and there's a lot of costs and a lot of inputs um, mm-hmm. that go into it. And, and unless you're at like a huge scale, uh, like, um, you know, uh, Lion or CUB or uh, Coopers or you know one of the big internationals. Um, it's really it's really hard to produce uh, beer um, cheaply um, without you know huge amounts of uh, you know automation and a whole bunch of other kind of stuff. So, uh, but yeah, I don't think I think most people don't think about it, and that's that's totally fine. But I think I think um, we we just wanted to to highlight kind of yeah there there is a bit that goes into it um i guess sorry i didn't answer that very well no i think you got i think yeah i think you got it across quite well it's yeah the the idea that yeah most people don't know and they they kind of really should given that how much pressure is on the industry and you know a lot of people's favorite breweries would have disappeared recently and for them to to see why that's happening is is probably a good thing um andrew it's probably a good time to talk to you uh about the next question that we've got on the question sheet uh given that batch is kind of famous for for just uh single runs and one-offs and special releases and just doing one beer once um Mm -hmm. the idea of of smaller formats and and uh having core ranges and trying to push push a kind of core products um is that one of the strategies you're seeing more and more? I mean, is that something that you guys, you guys are obviously looking at? Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we've had a core range now for a while. Um, it happens um, kind of gradually. I mean, we're, we're in our 10th year this year, but mm. it's, it's, it happened kind of gradually over time. And we've had some that have come in uh, and then some that have come in and gone um, and some uh, that, uh, are 
going to come in still like that. We, that I think we'll end up entering the core range potentially. Um, you know, we, we, um, at one point, um, batch and we, we, we still might actually be doing it, but we, we were doing like a new beer, like every five to 10 days. Mm. Um, we had a really, really strong innovation program. I mean, it, pretty much only in beer, but we had a very strong innovation program that we, um, uh, we're putting out just because we just wanted to continue to experiment and have fun. And, and, um, you know, the market re- reacted very well to it, but over the past few years, <clears throat> and, and especially the first year of COVID, like we just increased it again, we were packaging everything. It was all going out, but <clears throat> over the past, uh, year and a half, I'd say probably two years now. Um, I've seen a different shift in the market. Um, it's, uh, <clears throat> I might go off on a tangent here, so I apologize, yeah, but, um, we're people... all about the tangents. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> Anyone who's heard me go on about this, you're probably, you can just, you can, you, a lot of people probably heard me talk about this, but, um, the, where was I? Um, <clears throat> Beer market goes up and down in uh, ebbs and flows and peaks and troughs. Um, and, um, you know, the economy at the moment, obviously, with recessional, um, everyone's spending habits are much different. So mm-hmm. uh, we we saw that um, as we were going into the local drinks collective uh, piece with Wayward, um, we... I was noticing like a massive drop off in people buying limited releases. Um, it was really, you, we, you just, we were putting them out regularly and then like we were putting them out in really small scale. So we have small batch and we can do like, you know, 300, 350 liter batches. Those were fine, like really small amounts. But if we we're doing uh 20 heck or 40 heck uh, worth of product, we didn't have the sales team that to actually get it out and, we noticed, uh, and we had multiple venues, and the strategy of the multiple venues was to be like, okay, well, we don't need to send them out to wholesale. We'll, we'll ship them out online and send them to our mm-hmm. venues. But people's spending habits changed, and or, or their drinking habits changed at the same time. And with rising costs of living and inflation, we, we basically said we have to pull back on doing limited releases. It's actually too costly for us to, to package every single one. It takes up a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So we switched our strategies as switched to basically uh, still brewing a lot of di- fun and different stuff. We're still doing that all the time, but it's really only keg driven. And we have between um, us and wayward, we've got five venues at the moment. So it's all like, you want to experience that come and get it on tap. But for us to be able to put it, put it in pack has been really hard. So We've changed our strategy in that space. Having said that, I think um, there are still some breweries that are, um, you know, with, 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 they have the right amount of sales team to be able to get those limited release distributions out. Um, and so we, I can see if we structure uh, uh, our overall sales team uh, properly, we'll be able to start to put out some of those limited releases as long as we're really like, uh, really careful about how much volume we're putting out and, and the time and the time of year. And you got to consider what product it is. So we are kind of going to, we're going to get back on that, but you have to be very, you have to be very careful about how you approach it. Mm-hmm. I also think that, um, um, the success that I'm seeing and which, you know, like, and initially we start off in four forty mil cans and we switch down to three seventy five mil cans. 
I would really love for us to, for Batch in particular, to, to throw back out um, limited releases in 440 mil cans only because I think that's it's much more of a the market of people exploring um, that style and that and that mm-hmm. format makes sense. So I, that's we don't have the capability to do 440 mil cans outside of small batch at the moment. So um, I'm hoping that um, at some point we're we'll be able to do that. And when we do it, we might, you might see a couple more limited releases from us. Sorry, I went, went off on a tangent. That, that actually wasn't the tangent I was talking that was, about. That was a great tangent, though. That was, a, that was all yeah. the good stuff. Which is exactly <laughs> right. I'd, I'd love to come back to some of those questions can, about the can format. I, can I ask a question stuff. about it, though? Well, yeah, I was, yeah, literally that's what I was going to do. I was going to say, Mick, you know, what's your experience in how things well, have... Well, no, it's more coming back to, to your experience in the sense that I, I know in Melbourne... You know, there's a cost of living crisis across the country. Mm-hmm. The, the the beer dollar is obviously shrunk, and and the entertainment dollar, what you can spend, and people are feeling the, the crunch. Anecdotally, mates in Sydney who are in the industry selling both spirits and beer are telling me Sydney people are staying home. Yeah, and uh, and the bottle shops are busy. Now, my understanding in Melbourne, from what I see is the bottle shops are quiet and the pubs are still doing okay. And I think that's because we've got a bit of PTSD here in Melbourne and and we don't want to be told that we have to stay home and drink at home because we did that for a couple of years while you guys mm-hmm. were all still having fun. Um, so I'm just wondering how you're finding it because I know you know, limited releases were huge for, for lockdown. Yeah. And we watched, you know, breweries like Hawkers and Deeds. You know, it was a, it was a different beer every, every week. Um, you know... Uh, various bottle shops, you know, we're, we're putting out, you know, survival packs with, you know, 10-pack of random crazy beers, which was awesome. Um, but how are you finding it now? Are you finding that, it, that you're getting good on-premise, for, you know, sell-through or is it off-premise sell-through? Uh, it's interesting because I actually thought – so, uh, yeah, I mean, I've noticed that Melbourne on-premise has definitely increased, I, so I agree with that. I think that – um Sydney off premise is still uh, is still a bit hard going at the moment. I think, um, I, and I don't know why, because Melbourne, like people are definitely going out in Sydney, like, but I think they're just people are just drinking less and spending less. Mm. So um, the way I always look at it is like, I, I think I think people used to. Um, in Sydney, uh, used to, uh, the bottle shops were strong because they'd have, you know, like a, a barbecue or something like that and like be hospitable and have people over and do all that kind of stuff. I feel like there's less of that happening right now. Um, mm-hmm. and I feel like people will, people aren't, and, and because this is one of the most expensive markets in the country, mm-hmm. um, or this is the most expensive market in the country. Um, you know, I, I know everyone's, their, their mortgages have all gone up. So, you know, no one I'm talking to, well, ex- apart from a couple mates who are like, you know, they're all money doesn't matter. But like, um, oh, can I be mates with them? Feel free yeah. to message yeah. me behind the I'm scenes like, who they are. Do they want to invest in a Melbourne contract brand? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, like I've got most people aren't going out to like fancy restaurants or anything like that. Everyone's kind of like they'll go to the pub, have a couple beers, have a pub feed. And then that's kind of it. But I, but I'm noticing, um, like I feel like people are also drinking less at the moment. And it, the market. This is the toughest. This is the toughest uh, market 
for beer at the moment that I think Australia is seeing, especially with like a, the craft brewing industry hasn't gone through a recession in Australia. Um, in the U.S. it has. Um, so the people who are still in it will kind of know how to act. But I think a lot of us are still trying to navigate what that looks like right now. Um, and this is that this is the the other tangent that was going on. It's like you kind of go on this, and and people are moving back in, are moving from having all this disposable income where they would go and buy um, a can of beer that they've never had before and didn't really give a shit whether it was a sink pour or not. Like they don't want it to be, but they would they would spend that money and then would be like, oh okay, I didn't like that beer. That's fine. I'll move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. And the next week I'll go and do the same thing potentially over again. The people are now starting to. Um, Go go to brands that they trust, know and trust because mm-hmm. they can't. They don't have the same disposable income. They're also um, potentially drinking less because we all drank like fish during COVID. Um, and I know I'm seeing there's a trend of um, people like I'm not drinking at the moment. Like this is the second time this year um, I've stopped drinking for a period of time because um, I'm just getting older and I'm massively stressed out and all that kind of stuff. So I'm just taking a break. But I think the, the trend of that seems to be happening, and so all those things compounded, it makes it a little bit harder for the beer industry to survive. But we're also moving into that kind of the the peaks and troughs and standardization versus bohemianism where people are – and back to the point where people want to buy stuff that they know. They're kind of moving into those – into brands that are known and trusted um, and taking less risk. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we weather this storm um, – you know, and we're probably, we might be at the base, I guess. I don't, I'm not sure. Um, mm. But as we start moving back up the bell curve and the, and the economy starts to improve, because it will. Um, I mean, all this stuff, it always bounce, bounces back and beer's not going anywhere. Beer is still very much a staple part of the global um, economy and consumption. Having said that, we do need to innovate. Um, you can't, we need to be thinking about other things other than just beer. But mm. As it as it comes back up, you'll you'll and it, I'm talking about a couple year cycle here. It's going to come back up, and people are going to start to um, explore again, and they're going to have more disposable income. And you'll find that like those big IPAs or whatever it is, like chocolate stouts, barrel aged kind of stuff, those things will start to get purchased again. People will start to say, "Okay, I want to do this," and we'll we'll go through this next wave, um, and which it'll definitely happen. But it's just it's just a matter of. Um, you know, ride, it's riding the waves. That's what it's all about, I guess. Uh, sorry, I went off and up. No, I think it's a, another good tangent and um, ignoring <laughs> my own question sheet. I mean, I, to chime in with a bit of my experience, particularly in Melbourne where we had so many lockdowns and so forth, and I think you've touched on bits of this already, but it's not just the finances and it's not just sort of general drinking, but it's that bit of if you were in Melbourne and you didn't have to go out and see anyone the next day on a Thursday night, you could get away with drinking a couple of 12% beers and perhaps what normal became back then really was very abnormal in terms of people's drinking habits. And we sort of convinced ourselves that the market had moved to the idea that 440 mil cans of 12% beers was normal in inverted commas. Mm. But really it was a very exceptional circumstance that if you are looking at a long-term trend of data, doesn't match with what was happening from 2015 to 2019 and from 2023 perhaps going forward for the next five years. Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely was. It's almost like you can't even – like when we look at numbers um, to try and do forecasting, it's like you, you almost have to leave COVID out of it. 
you just have to cut the whole, you have to cut two mm. years out because it's just, it's just, it's so odd, you know, there's no keg sales. And then mm. you've got all these pack sales that are just completely like crazy. And now it's, and now it's all just flip back. It, it, you, you cut those two years out and, and the gap is still interesting because, um, you know, you, we are out the other side, but it's different than, than 2019 or whenever we went in. Um, have you got plans to expand on that? If the market kind of opens up a bit, have you got plans to just go, Oh yeah, we, we've got these two, two beers going well is, would you add to that? Would you add some more? I was, I was lucky enough that, uh, the Carlin guys asked me to be in the can event, So I've had to make a beer for that. Um, but it's, That's it's, really it's really beautiful getting asked to brew a set quantity that you know is already sold. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, it, it's, it's a luxury that, that, you know, most breweries don't, don't get you, you sort of, you make the beer, you, you hope it's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. You're going to love it, but the sales team are going to get around it. But yeah, it's, it's that, you know, you, you go and make, I don't know, some pastry stout and the brewery down the road makes the same beer and then you're fighting each other. And I, I see it all the time in trade. Like mm. everyone seems to release the same kind of beer and it's like, are you guys talking? Are they on the Cool Room podcast together going, let's make a passion fruit, you know, like and dragon And passion fruit and dragon fruit. <laughs> so. and, and, and all of a sudden, and all of a sudden you see like three or four of them get released within a, in the space of days and you go, well, yeah, were you guys talking behind the scenes? Like that's silly. Like, I mean, I've always thought, yeah, there's there's nothing new, but I get constantly confused by some of the crazy stuff that that mm. brewers make. Um, um, for me, I'm 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 really old school. I spent you know seven years selling Truma, where I had one beer to sell, and you know the constant question these days is like, what's new? And I've always you know I, I go back to regurgitator, and I'm like, you know, I like your old stuff better than your new stuff. Like, just give me solid. It's like a lot of work to get where you are. Yeah, I, I did. Um, yeah, it's, but it's it's one of those. Yeah, I, I want to know that the beer I'm getting is is solid and well made. So I, I steer away from a lot of limited releases unless I know the brewery and trust them. Um, and that yeah, the market is is so cluttered with breweries that if you miss these days, then people won't give you that second chance. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's. For me, you've got to be on a sales side. You've got to be really careful that the product you take to market is solid. And I, you know, I, I saw this race where everyone was putting out a beer every week over over COVID times, and there were some misses that probably shouldn't have ever seen the inside of a can. Mm. Um, there was some there was some amazing stuff, and don't get me wrong, you know, and you've got to innovate. And there's going to be, you know, some stuff ups along the way. But um, you know, as a sales thing. When you've got so many breweries, you know, fighting for a limited dollar, if if you're not super proud of the product, I, I wouldn't sell it. Yeah. But you know, commercially, you kind of go, well, we we made a batch, we have to sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a really tough one, and I, I I I have a lot of sadness for the breweries that you know uh, had a few missteps and and people step off them, and and I keep saying to people like maybe yeah revisit them. You know, cause things can change. It could be a yep. change in process, change in equipment, change in brewer. Um, but yeah, it's it's a tough market. It's really hard. Yeah, good call. We should talk about 
the beer that I have in my glass um, because it's a cracker and uh, it's one that's been around for a little while. Um, Merrickville Original Pale Ale. Mm-hmm. Um, or has it, it been around for a little has while? Has it been around for a little while? I thought of, for some reason, my head's just thinking, yes, I've drank a million of these. So, so I reckon just before before Andrew kicks off with his answer here, this is where I'm going to give myself first and foremost the traditional cool room clap, which rarely gets heard on the podcast itself because I might well make a little gap between one episode and another here. 